And we'll start with verse 1. Then I saw, this is John writing, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written uh, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I know I can't help when I'm reading Revelation to get in my big God voice, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of fun uh, on that. One of these days, what I'd like to do, uh, I, we're going to do this some night in the house of prayer, is we're going to just read the book of Revelation. Uh, so I'll try to let you know if anybody wants to come and wants to be a part of that. So, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's beside the point. Um, when I was growing up, we all had... Uh, you know, just about every family had what we would call a crazy aunt or uncle. Now, by crazy aunt or uncle, we didn't mean somebody who was literally insane, but we meant somebody that was a bit strange and a little bit of an embarrassment to the family at large. You know, it's like, okay, most of us turned out normal except Uncle Frank, you know, and Uncle Frank, he wasn't quite, something wasn't there, you know. Or, or, or Aunt Jeanette, you know, she was a little, a little off, you know, sometimes, sometimes your, your crazy uncle, you know, he'd be the one who'd, who'd always want to take you in and show you his rock collection, you know, and you look at this, you say, okay, well, it's rocks, you know, who cares, uh, or, uh, you, you know, maybe he had his, his preserved uh, 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 grasshopper collection, you know, they're all killed, and they're, they're spiked into a, a display cupboard and, and you're like okay they're grasshoppers and they're dead you know what what's the deal uh or sometimes uh it was the relative that you had 
who forgot to take a bath about 20 years ago and then forgot, didn't remember to start again. You know, so, so the, the, the person that announced their presence about, you know, 20, 30 minutes before they actually got there, you know, you could smell them coming. Uh, you know, you just have, have all of these different kinds of quirkiness, right? And we'd all try to, to hide these people a little bit. And I remember my first church, we had this too. There were just, a, you know, a few church members, and thankfully none of you guys are like this. But we had a few church members that uh, we, when we had new people come to the church, we just really didn't want the new people to meet this church member, you know? It, it's just like, if they meet this person and they think we're all like this person, then we're in trouble. You know, they're never going to come back again. In fact, they will run away. But you didn't want to be totally rude, you know, so uh, because everybody would see this person, and, and this person would often be the one that really wanted to make themselves well-known to everybody. You know, so uh, they were always kind of there, kind of in your face. And, and, uh, and so, so what some of our elders would do, you know, they, they, would, they would intentionally introduce people around, uh, and it'd be like, and, and, and this is Betty, and this is, you know, and immediately move on to somebody else, because you know, we're just a little uncomfortable uh, and, and a little uneasy about that. And I think, you know, that spirit in many places around the West, I kind of see that spirit too about the church generally. I mean, after all, uh, we, we, we really set ourselves up always to fail because we have this mindset that the church should be like heaven on earth, even though that's not what the Bible says. I mean, think about it. Uh, if the church is all, all supposed to be lovey-dovey, and it's going to be lovey-dovey all the time, you know, because that's kind of the idea. You know, we're all, we're going to get together, and we should all love each other, and we should all get along, and we should never have any kind of disagreements, and we should all give lots of money, and we should all work hard doing things that we don't like to do, uh, and we should all see things the same way. I mean, this, these are the kind of attitudes I hear all the time, and I've heard these for 40 years or more, these kinds of attitudes from people in the church, and I'm thinking, you never really read the Bible, did you? Because I mean, look, just take one, you know, everybody, most everybody's favorite wedding passage, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Everybody loves 1 Corinthians 13. And it starts out, you know, it's talking, about, it's the love chapter, you know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I don't have love, oh, is it, doesn't that sound so wonderful? And, and if Paul would have stopped there, it'd be okay, but then he went on to say, I mean, the guy just kind of affronts the senses. He says, love is patient. You don't have to go any further than that to get it. I mean, think about it. When was the last time, if you have a child, when was the last time your child was really, really annoying you? And your child was annoying you so much that if it was legal, you'd probably send them to a foreign country and adopt them out to somebody else, right? You know, because they're really, really annoying you, and you choose not to do that. Well, that means that you are patient, right? And that's what love feels like. You know, we, none of us have to be patient. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Rod, I, I'm going to give you a million pounds, and I'm going to count it out one pound at a time. You know, I don't have to be patient to wait for that. I will happily wait for that. It doesn't require patience. It just requires a small amount of greed on my part, and it, it'll get done, right? But yet we apply this to the church, and, 
because we've done this and because we all know, I mean, no church is perfect. And, and if you, you know, as we always say, if you find a perfect church, then don't join it because you'll mess it up, right? You know, it's, a, it's the reality. And, and so sometimes we kind of get embarrassed about church because church, I mean, after all, let's, let's face it, sometimes it's really boring. I mean, it's honest, you know, not every one of my sermons are life-changing events. You know, 99 out of 100 might be, but, you know, not everyone. Uh, not, not every time does, you know, the worship team, you know, sing perfectly in tune. Uh, not every one of Feli's meals are absolutely, you know, I, I need to eat this meal and die because I can't have anything better. Uh, we, we realize this, that there's problems, there's struggles, and it's part of real life. It's part of any relationship we have, any job that we're going to, need to do. It's the reality that we live in. And because we have tried to deny that reality or say that the reality of us being human beings shouldn't be true in the church, I mean, whoever thought of that is, is kind of, maybe that's the, the aunt and uncle uh, that we're talking about. But, you know, we're, we're all, we're weak. We fail, we mess up, we sin, um, we struggle, and that's true for us individually. It's also true for us corporately. And there's no perfect church. There's no church that does everything it could do. There's no church that prays enough, that evangelizes enough, that knows the Bible enough, uh, that represents Christ well enough, and so on and so on. And yet we become embarrassed because we're normal. We become embarrassed because we don't realize the truth about who we really are. I mean, think about it. What is the queen like in her bedroom? Now, I'm not... What is the queen like when she gets up in the morning? Does she get up in the morning with the crown on her head? Does she get up in the morning with every hair perfectly in place? You know, does, does she get up in the morning and say to her husband, Dear, we must go to breakfast now. No. She's a normal human being that we honor deeply. But there are probably things that if we saw or if we knew, we'd say, oh, wow, why are you the queen? And the same is true for us. And the problem is because we've gotten so embarrassed about ourselves and so willing to capitulate to these idealistic distortions about who we really are that we're in danger, and in many places it's already happened, of making the church kind of uh, uh, an addition, a, a needless addition to our Christian faith. You know, it's like, okay, we, we have all these great things that we do, and, and we also go to church. You know, it's kind of like we speak like we're going to the loo. And, and we don't really realize who we are. And you can see this a lot. One of the ways you see this is in, the, in talk. It's very popular. I've been hearing this for more than a decade now. People will talk about the kingdom of God and talk about the church. And they'll talk about the kingdom of God and they'll say, we need to build the kingdom, but we don't need to worry about the church. Or they'll say, well, you, you have the kingdom of God, and of course, the church is not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. And these kind of ideas about the church are actually wrong. And there's no other way to say it. 
They're false. They're lies. They do not represent the truth of who we really are. And we see a glimpse of who we really are when we look at the book of Revelation and we look at this passage. Uh, And this tells us so much about who we are. We are tempted to think of the book of Revelation as something that is just future. Uh, And without going into a lot of detail on this, it's important to understand that when we leave this planet, we enter timelessness. So what is unfolding in the book of Revelation is, in a sense, it's future to our earthbound reality, but it's happening right now in terms of the heavenly places. So why this is important for us is that the glimpse that we get in this passage that we read about who we are is true for us right now as who we are. Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's true for us right now as who we are. It's not something that's going to be true for us at some point in time in the future. It's true for us in this very moment. I love children. I absolutely love children. It's true for us in this very, very moment. And so John is getting a glimpse here of who we really are, and we all get a glimpse of who we really are as the church of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this. We're going to focus just on a couple of verses here. But let's look here and see what Revelation reveals about us. Notice verse 9. Worthy are you, it's talking about Jesus, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is Jesus worthy? He is worthy because he was slain. He is worthy because he willingly chose to go to the cross for us. He willingly chose to die on the cross. It wasn't some kind of cosmic child abuse that some theologians try to say it was. It was Jesus willingly sacrificing himself for us so that the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of hell could be defeated once and for all. Jesus was slain, and he is worthy because he was slain. Jesus is God. He is our Lord. He is our King who is worthy because he willingly laid down his life for us. And then here it goes, and by your blood, by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, Jesus ransomed people for God. See, what had happened was, we, because of our sin, we belong to the dominion of darkness. We, every one of us, because we have willingly chose to sin, we put our lives under the control of Satan, under the control of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were under this realm, we were under this dominion of darkness, and we had no way of getting out of it on our own. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, his blood paid the price to take us out of the dominion of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of God. So... When we become Christians, what happens is that Jesus pays the price for our sin, pays the price for our subjugation to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and removes us from that subjugation. He ransoms us. It's like we've been kidnapped. And his blood pays the ransom required so that we would be transferred out of that and we would become new creations, we would become new people, we would have a new king, King Jesus, and we would enter into a new reality. 
And Jesus has done this for us. And every single one of us who follow Jesus have had our lives ransomed. We have been ransomed by Jesus Christ, taken out of the kingdom of darkness. Every single one of us in Christ, that is true. Every single one of us have been taken together. And what he did, he didn't ransom just European people or African people or Asian people. Notice what it says here. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. So we belong to God now. We are God's family. We are God's children. We are God's servants. We are God's sons. We are God's saints. He's ransomed us, not just so we could go our own way, not just so we could do our own thing. He has ransomed us for God, and he has ransomed us from every tribe and language and people and nation. So Jesus has taken us in all of our diversity and united us in the reality of Jesus himself, uniting us with himself so that we are now people for God. We are now God's people. We are now God's family. And Jesus has done that. And that is the foundation of our reality as the church. It's like we said last week. When Peter declared, you are the king, the son of the living God, he was declaring the foundation of our new reality. And in this passage, we are learning how we get on that foundation, how we come into that foundation. It's because Jesus willingly died on the cross and ransomed us for God from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now that's pretty amazing. And that's who we are as the church. We are the people ransomed for God by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. That is our reality, and that is the reality that is true of every Christian in every place at every time throughout all eternity. That is our reality. Now notice, he didn't ransom us for God so we do our own thing, so that we go our own way, so that we form our own institutions and things. He ransomed us for God, and then what he does next is extraordinary. Then you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. So Jesus ransoms us for God from every people, language, tribe, tongue, everywhere around the world. We're ransomed to God. And then Jesus makes us, the church, a kingdom. This is not a reality where you have the church on the one side and you have the kingdom on the other side. The church of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God together. There's not a separate reality from us that is the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is more than we are, but it is never less than we are. The kingdom of God is more than we are, but it is never different than we are. We together are God's loving rulership. We are the physical manifestation and demonstration of God's kingdom on the earth. And every church that gathers in the name of Jesus, and not every church gathers in the name of Jesus, 
But every church that gathers authentically in the name of Jesus Christ is a visible representation and manifestation of God's kingdom on the earth. We are the representation of God's rulership. We are the demonstration that God rules in our life. I mean, after all, why would we get together and come together on a Sunday morning if God wasn't ruling in our lives? I'd rather slept in today. I wasn't feeling so great, so I'd rather have stayed in bed or gone back to bed. But why did I come? It's not because I get paid. I come because God is my king, and I am part of his kingdom, and I am a representation of that reality. And so it's essential that I gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have also been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, been ransomed for God by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are the kingdom of God. We are God's rulership. We are that manifestation. And we exist to advance God's kingdom, God's loving rulership all around the world. Because as a kingdom, what do we want to do? Unashamedly, we want to get bigger. I want God's kingdom to go further. I want more people to come into God's kingdom. I want God's kingdom to influence more areas of society. That's our call. That's our purpose, to see God's kingdom go further. We are that kingdom. We are that kingdom. And Jesus has made us a kingdom, and he's also made us priests unto our God. Now, what's the role of the priest? The role of the priest is twofold. One, the role of the priest is to represent the people to God in worship. The priest was the one in the Old Testament. He was leading the people in worship. He was leading the sacrifices. He was making sure everything was done in order to bring maximum glory to God. When people messed up, the priest would go to God and say, oh God, please forgive people. And when we see people sin, you know, one of the things that's so, so common today, and I see it everywhere, is we see people sin, what do we do? We go onto Twitter to criticize them. First thing we do, we, we, we fire up our blog to say, you know, this church is heretical or this church has fallen or, you know, this leader can't be trusted. And, and we go after them. But actually, we're priests to God. What we should be doing is representing them to God and say, God, please have mercy on this my brother or my sister in Christ, this other gathering of believers. Please have mercy on them so that they don't go down the path that they've chosen, so that they can go into a new path, they can walk into righteousness, they can walk into holiness and walk into truth. But instead, we like to criticize, we like to tear them down, we like to break them apart, and that's ungodly because we are priests to God. We are priests to God. Oh. And we represent God, the people, to God. Also, priests represent God to the people. Do you know, everywhere we go, we are representing God to the people around us. When you go to work tomorrow, you don't go by yourself. You go as God's representative. Everywhere you go, you are a priest representing God to the people you interact with. 
And we need to keep this in mind. Because so often we think, well, nobody sees us, but actually people do see us. God sees us. And we are priests to God together. We represent God to the people. That's the role of the church, is to represent God, God's kingdom rulership reality to the people. That's who we are as the church. Yeah, that's those people sitting around you. Yeah, that's the person that's been annoying you. Yeah, that's the person who maybe you think should grow up in the Lord. Uh, yeah, that's the person that maybe you really look up to, but you are no worse than or better than. We are this reality together. We are the kingdom of God. We are priests to our God. This is our reality. Just like the queen, when she goes to bed tonight in whatever dressing gown she wears, and I don't even try to imagine those things, whatever dressing gown she wears, do you know what? She's still the queen. She gets up in the morning, and if she's in a grumpy mood, guess who she is? The queen. If she goes and, and watches her favorite soap opera on TV, she's still the queen. If she goes out to eat with her family, which uh, you know I don't imagine she does very much, she goes as the queen. She doesn't probably need that because she gets all the good food at home. She goes up to Scotland, she's the queen. She travels abroad, she's the queen. She doesn't ever stop being the queen, even though sometimes she might not be wearing makeup and even though her hair might not be in order, she's still the queen. The same is true for us. We are still a kingdom and priests, whether or not we're doing everything we should be doing, we're still a kingdom of priests, whether or not we look the part or feel the part or act the part, we are still a kingdom and priest to our God because we have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus has made us into this reality. And what Jesus has made you, you can't unmake. What the reality Jesus has made you into will continue to be true of you even if you deny it. And so we need to start stepping up and saying, okay, this is who we are. We are the kingdom of God. We are priests to our God. We are the people who have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ for God. This is who we are. This is who we are as this church. This is who we are as the church across town. This is who we are as all the churches across the world together. We are the kingdom of God. We are priests to our God. And this is what Jesus has made us to be. And we're not a kingdom because we do kingdom things. We're not a kingdom because we wear the crowns. We're not a kingdom because we dress the part. We're not a kingdom because we look the part. We're not priests because we do some religious stuff and genuflect or bow or do whatever we do or stand when we sing. We're not a priest because that. We're a priest. We're a kingdom because this is what Jesus has made us to be. And this is our overriding reality that we must believe and remember every single time we come together. And you need to believe that and remember that tomorrow when you go to work. Because tomorrow when you go to work, guess what? You're going as God's kingdom. And you're going as God's priest. And why is this important? It's the last line. The promise here. Notice what he says. He says, For, and he has made them a kingdom and priest to our God, 
and they shall reign on the earth. They shall reign on the earth. Now this is a reality that will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again. This is a reality that will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. But it's a reality that's true right now. This does not mean that we, by our own efforts and our own power, are going to make the whole world reflect God's kingdom. It does not. This does not mean that we can unilaterally or single-handedly eliminate all the power of hell. We know that's going to be around. It does not mean that somehow in some utopian-style vision we're going to become a perfected church of Jesus Christ here on the earth. It doesn't mean these things at all. But it is not simply a future reality. And some will say it is, but it is not simply a future reality. It is a present reality as well. Even though we know in the future, when Jesus comes again, there will be a time when we will reign alongside Jesus in the earth. That's promised in the scriptures. We know that will happen in the future. But in the meantime, until Jesus comes again, our mandate is to exercise the, our rulership, if you will, the expansion of God's kingdom here on the earth. We are called to rule and reign with Christ right now. We don't do this of our own authority because we are not the rulers. We reign on the earth with Christ. We reign on the earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. We reign on the earth to the glory of God. This is not up to us as if it's now we're kings and we do whatever we want to. But that doesn't diminish the reality, that doesn't diminish the call that we are to extend God's loving rulership everywhere we go. We extend God's loving rulership sometimes as we minister to people who are bound up in demonic oppression and see them set free. That's extending God's rulership. We extend God's rulership when we pray for the sick and we see them healed. That's extending God's rulership. We extend God's rulership when we share our faith with people. We extend God's rulership when we see people turn away from their sin. We extend God's rulership when we forgive and when we help other people to make the choice to forgive. We also extend God's rulership when we behave righteously in the workplace. You know, when you go into your workplace and you're behaving in a way that honors God and you're working to your best to bring honor and glory to God as well as bring home a paycheck and you're helping your business implement righteous practices that not only improves the business but also makes it more godlike in the process and you can do that without people even knowing what you're doing when you do these things guess what you're extending God's rulership you're exercising your rulership you're reigning on the earth and this is our call and this is why we gather together so that we can comfort and strengthen and encourage one another because we need that every day to step out and we need to be reminded of who we really are in Christ Jesus. I think it's time for people to be unapologetic about the church. Yeah, we have our faults, we have our failures. We're not perfect. We're not maybe not entertaining 
But we are a kingdom. We are priests to our God. We are the ransomed children of God. This is our reality. And as we live out believing that reality, we will see God do amazing things, both in our midst and wherever we go. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for who you have made us to be. As you've ransomed us from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. You have made us a kingdom and priests. And you have called us to reign on the earth. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us this week see your loving rulership extended in our workplaces. Even if people don't recognize what's happening, I pray that we would see that happen. I pray, Lord God, that we'd see your loving rulership extended this week with sick people being healed and people being set free from demonic oppression. I pray that we would see your loving rulership expand this week, even in places like our government. Lord, thank you for making us a kingdom and priests. Help us to live out that reality and have faith in who we really are because it's who you've made us to be. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.